Welcome to The Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsythe. On The Advertising Show, it's Ray Shillins, Brad Forsythe, back with you. The Advertising Show being brought to you by Advertising Age Magazine. Visit online at adage.com. Advertising Show is a big radio midgets production. Today we have a guest, a very special guest, because he's a part of the show. And we'll call Patrick Meyer a pinch hitter for Pat Fallon, <laughs> yeah, who was uh, scheduled to be on the show, but unfortunately, because of uh, scheduling conflicts on his uh, stuff, uh, was not able. But Patrick jumped right in there and said, yeah, guys, let's do it. Uh, he wasn't on his way to Florida or anything like that. And uh, so we've got Patrick here. And all of those things that we've been saying about Patrick in the past shows, when he couldn't hear us, Brad. Not true. We can't, yeah, well, we can't say him this, uh, this time, okay? So, oh. And uh, we'll have Patrick uh, live and in person here for the next uh, three segments on the advertising show. Also want to invite back Andy Borowitz, too. And uh, it's a good possibility here in just a couple of minutes that we can solve what is coming of World War III, Brad. So, and it's all hmm. about Starbucks, okay? That's all I'm going to say. Hmm. We also have, uh, let's see, uh, Jeffrey Gittimer a little bit later on in the show with uh, turning a no into yes. And that's not with a threat or anything like that, okay? It's just friendly persuasion. So how are you doing? Well, doing great. And by the way, if, uh, if you're a regular listener to the advertising show, you know Patrick from his uh, contributions weekly at the Marketer, Marketing Insider. And a great, uh, great mind, great brand, uh, branding expert, a person that's very knowledgeable. And uh, gosh, what was it? It was before his own uh, company. He was uh, the CEO and founder of WPP's Fusion 5. And before that, he had uh, a number of other uh, positions that were... Uh, of note, which we'll get into, I guess, later. Right, I was going to mention uh, David Lubars will be a guest next week, uh, BBDO. Right. Um, of course, uh, uh, followed Chief, Chief in. Chief Officer of BBDO. Yeah, 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 and followed in the footsteps of our friend, Phil Dusenberry. Lovely. Okay, yeah. well, that'll be great to, uh, to get him on next week. But Patrick, today, and we hope you'll stay with us here. At theadvertisingshow.com, a lot of things going on. Uh, you know, we, we both have Verizon phones, Brad. The uh, one you hate. The one I, I hate. don't mind them too bad. Well, yes. that's because you've got a better one than I got, and it seems to be working better at least. Maybe they made <laughs> yeah. them better that day. But yeah. uh, here's one that you may want to have. It's, uh, they're trying to attempt consumers away from the iPod with a chocolate LG. Right, a chocolate LG and a sleek hmm. style, which might just make it a fashion accessory, which obviously cell phones have become the phone name chocolate because the confection is sexy, seductive, and a powerful temptation, according to LG's senior director of marketing. Chocolate, one of the first converged devices to look and feel like a music player and uh, might even have a shot of weakening the iPod's grip on its cool, uh, sleek, uh, high-design uh, black case uh, responding to the touch by lighting a red music control dial. I'm not so sure it can unseat the iPod. No. Maybe no. weaken it a little bit, but, you know, I'm, I'm glad that they're so confident in their chocolate phone. And I'm also <laughs> glad that they're taking the opportunity to take a shot at an iPod because you should, okay? Well, just, why just not? the way it is. Yeah, I mean, they've got a, yeah, I don't, I don't, I can't imagine Apple that's uh, shaking in their boots because of this deal, but. Uh, no. In the meantime, you know, I've got a piece of garbage Motorola. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, you know, you were speaking of iPods. It's very interesting. Uh, Apple Computer, Ray, just this past Thursday announced that they've reached agreements with Ford Motor 
General Motors and Mazda Motor Corp uh, to make it easier to connect its popular iPod music player to car stereos. More than 70% of 07 models uh, in the United States will offer a way to link up to their to their iPod with uh, car stereos under the agreement. Apple said GM will offer iPod connections in all 56 of its models. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mazda's uh, global 07 lineup of cars and sports utilities will offer an iPod feature as well. And apparently the iPod car feature Ray will all uh, will allow drivers to charge uh, the digital music player and store in a glove compartment as they listen to songs. Yeah, and it also allow yeah, and it'll also allow listeners to use uh, car stereo controls to select music on iPod devices. So uh, and of course listen to the advertising show. Well, everybody was so hot on XM and Sirius, okay? And I think the the, the part that's missing there is they didn't see the iPod coming. Right. And what I'm suggesting is people are finding, and I've heard a lot of comments about this, that people are now finding that by listening to XM and Sirius, they're hearing the same stuff over mm. and over and over and over. And, of course, if you like, uh, say, jazz like we do or something, and you're going to hear the same format for the most part over and over and over. It's a radio right. station. It just mm-hmm. doesn't have a terrestrial uh, field. But with an iPod, my God, the, the possibilities are endless, like you right. say. You want to catch this show and take it with you, or you want to take the catch the last 10 shows or you know throwing a jazz tune in between there obviously right. that's a great idea so I, I see that a very interesting challenge for xm and Sirius in the future and just because they have uh, opie and anthony or not opie and anthony but howard stern and those guys uh, mm-hmm. i'm not sure that, that that's such a wise thing to bank it on so interesting well, uh, interesting about ipod hey can we uh, take a break here sure uh, it's really time to Solve World War Three, or what is looking like World War Three coming? Here's uh, here's Andy Borowitz on the advertising show. Hi, this is Andy Borowitz for the advertising show, and now here's this week's feature from the Borowitz Report. Frustrated in her attempts to assemble an international peacekeeping force to serve as a buffer between Israel and Lebanon, Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice said this past week that she has received a firm commitment from Starbucks to serve as peacekeepers in the war-torn border region. Many diplomatic observers were surprised that Dr. Rice would entrust the delicate task of peacekeeping to Starbucks, a company that has shown leadership in the coffee field but is relatively untested in the treacherous waters of the Middle East. But with such foreign powers such as France, Russia, Germany unwilling to send forces to such an explosive hotspot, Starbucks became the only option for the United States Secretary of State. We believe that Starbucks will bring peace and, failing that, lattes to the fledgling democratic state of Lebanon, Dr. Rice said at a press briefing. According to the plan hammered out with the United States, Starbucks will create a buffer zone between the two warring nations by building a Starbucks franchise every two blocks along the Israeli-Lebanon border. Davis Lodgton, who has studied the interaction between the Middle Eastern politics and global coffee chains at the University of Minnesota, believes that unlike the terror group Hezbollah, Starbucks can be expected to stay independent of foreign states such as Syria and Iran. Syria and Iran can give Starbucks all the orders they want, Professor Lodgden said, but Starbucks will still get those orders wrong. This is Andy Borowitz, and this has been a special edition of the Borowitz Report from the Advertising Show. To read more reports or to receive daily email alerts, log on to borowitzreport.com. This is Andy Borowitz saying... Keep it fake, baby. You know, you being such a big fan of Starbucks, I thought you might enjoy that, too, as well. Yeah, and, you know, I missed Borowitz. I'm glad you brought him back today. Andy? 
Andy's, yeah. Andy's, Andy's always around. We just, uh, he now makes, uh, well, here at the studios, he does make coffee on Fridays, and uh, he cleans occasionally. It's, it's That's nice. true. We let him run a few tape dubs now and then. That's nice. <laughs> you still do that. No, we just make him run a few tape dubs now and then, and oh, we don't tell him that nobody uses those anymore. Yeah. You know, it's fine. He's, he's, he's from Cleveland. What does he know? Hey, you know, I, I noticed that you uh, decided to call, call it Hezbollah as opposed to Hezbollah. I picked, I picked a B. Yeah. B. And, you know, I called the headquarters the other day just to see how they answered the phone Line to get busy? a pronunciation on voicemail? that. What'd you <laughs> It's what I got. I've got voicemail, and it was, well, anyway. <laughs> I keep hearing this uh, multiple pronunciation of, of uh, Hezbollah. Yeah. Uh, even within the same news item, as we mentioned last week, it's like, you know, pick a, pick a pronunciation. I got, I got one for them. Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah. See ya. Get the heck out. We'll be back in just a moment with more on the advertising show. Patrick Meyer out of New York joining us here with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. You're going to like it. Make your advertising dollars work smarter. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. You know me. Would you believe I'm Bugs Bunny? I'm also the voice of many other cartoon characters. But in here, they don't care if I'm Elmer Fudd. So I carry an American Express card. The one card I need for travel and entertaining, for business and play. It's the advertising show, Ray Schillen's Brad Forsyth, and he's no Pat Fallon, and that's good. <laughs> Patrick, Patrick Meyer is a marketing innovator and thought leader, working behind the scenes for uh, chief marketing officers and CEOs and senior marketers across many companies uh, in the United States and globally. If you listen to the show, as you have been, hopefully, for the past several years, you've also heard him as a regular part of the advertising show. Always insightful, really cool little bits uh, to contribute here. And, Patrick, we are so happy to have you live in person uh, this weekend on the advertising show. Thanks for being here. Guys, it's great to be with you. Yeah, and you know, uh, I had a chance to visit your your uh, blog, uh, Patrick, uh, zanga.com slash Patrick Meyer, and, and on that uh, blog, uh, you had a, a visual that you sent around to a lot of your, your friends in the uh, business, and I was lucky enough to get a copy of the uh, email that you sent showing uh, some exciting uh, things going on at, at World Cup this year, and I know you attended uh, the World Cup in Germany. Talk a little bit about, Patrick, if you would, the good, bad, and the ugly, and when uh, it comes to advertising and marketing campaigns, a bit of what you you saw this year? Well, I, I guess over the years I've worked on so many properties, you know, NFL, sports, entertainment, etc. So I was there both as spectator and as marketer. And you know, there were some great things going on, and there were some things that were just disastrous. And uh, so I came back, the experience was great. I said, you know, I just got to share with marketers and friends what really was the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, to me, the good, the brilliant, was what Adidas did with the World Cup around the world, and uh, they did an outstanding job. The bad, well, I would say that it was probably Budweiser and Anheuser-Busch kind of buying the rights to it all, and then just showing up with signage and not really connecting to World Cup at the heart level. And then uh, the ugly was Zidane with his headbutt that <laughs> probably tainted the entire last game, the championship game. But the most intriguing part was Adidas and what they did and how they came at it, because to me it was one of the greatest marketing efforts that I've seen in the last couple of years. Yeah, and you know, uh, worldwide audience, those Europeans and elsewhere uh, know it as Adidas, and here in the U.S. we call it Adidas, but yeah. in any event, describe the uh, the inflatable that uh, you had a, a picture of, and many many maybe didn't have a chance to see uh, that, but i got to tell you, it's uh, 
heck of a use of uh, of, of outdoor and a, a great way of having huge impact right there outside of the uh, venue. Describe that for us, would you, Patrick? Well, what they did that was smart was, you know, most marketers would say, I need to run network TV or the equivalent and, you know, all the traditional stuff. And uh, here what they did was they took their goalie and they created, I guess, about a 100-foot replica version of the goalie straddling straddling the Autobahn as you came out of Munich Airport and heading towards Stuttgart. And uh, so here is this giant goalie diving for the ball over the Autobahn. <laughs> now, why would you do that if it's just one location? Well, every time you went by, there were at least 15 photographers or people taking photographs. And it ended up in the press for weeks or you know, all over the place, but showcasing the innovation by Adidas. Now, that little tactic combined with other things just made this a whole different whole different marketing effort. Let me let me give you one that just blew our minds. We flew into Munich Airport and uh, as we were coming through the baggage area and you're waiting for your bags, there's a corrugated wrapped replica of the World Cup going around on the baggage carousel, around and around. <laughs> and it says and it was addressed to World Cup committee, right? Well, that was amazing. And so we ran to the next carousel, and there's another one. So they've got all these replica statues wrapped up as if they've been shipped in and no one had picked them up yet. Wow. Then as we're, as we're going farther, we see this giant bag draped across a little trolley, and it says D. Beckham, right? So <laughs> the equipment for David Beckham wow. just sitting there. All of this stage is guerrilla marketing. Now, that's really clever stuff. Those are the small details that the consumer just loves. And you know, you mentioned uh, yeah, yeah. You mentioned Anheuser Busch, and they they uh, really had had some trouble. And uh, you know, here they spent all that money to sponsor uh, the World Cup this year, and yet uh, I don't know, looking back, if that was such a wise decision. Obviously, it wasn't because you know, if you want to make inroads, I guess to a new market uh, as AB wanted to do, I'm not sure such a, a large uh, stage as the World Cup was the way to go because they had such a huge, huge uh, resistance from the, the beer drinking crowd there that uh, I understand that AB eventually had to acquiesce to allowing another brand uh, uh, to be uh, served there at the facilities. Isn't that correct? Well, you know, it's funny. We never saw another brand there. It was all AB. Maybe, hmm. maybe they acquiesced someplace. But my take on the whole thing was, you know, here comes AB, big checkbook, American sponsor, buying their way into World Cup. And that was probably great in the U.S. to kind of, you know, you know, crack open with key accounts, particularly Hispanic accounts, and, and um, so it probably worked here in the U.S. In Europe, there was such backlash that when I'm standing in line getting a beer and a sandwich, and my only option is Anheuser-Busch's Bud and a McDonald's um, food item, <laughs> and everybody in line is yelling, you know, complaining. Because when you go to Germany, if you're German or you're European, you want a good beer. Sure. So I think I think that was that was a backlash. You know, and your background as a, a beverage marketer, uh, you know, it's no secret most consumer product marketers have shifted 
at least some of their ad dollars from traditional media to the Internet. Foster's Beer has taken a more dramatic step recently, just uh, noted in the Wall Street Journal uh, this past week. The Australian Beer's U.S. owner, S.A.B. Miller, which I know is a client of yours, Patrick, has decided to stop advertising on television and shift its entire American ad budget to the net. Uh, And although the brand's TV spending is relatively small, the move is certainly uh, significant in that it's representative of the trend among uh, certain target groups, and in this particular case, the young men away from TV viewing towards the web. What, what do you think is uh, going on? Is this, is this something we're going to see more of uh, sooner than later? It's just where it's all going. And I think any smart marketer is, is looking for alternate ways to get there. And uh, you know, it's funny, there was a, a brand that we were working on, a soft drink, and we were helping them reinvent their go-to-market approach. And uh, you know, instead of using Super Bowl spots you know, to just drive awareness, we said what you need to do is you need to use high-profile spots to feed people into your world, then get them with video on demand and webisodes and cell phone gaming and other things. Now, that's exactly what SAP did here. We, we piloted a, what we call MTech. It was a marketing technology effort to create a roadmap of where was the consumer going and what were the technologies to bet on. Well, video on demand and web and cell and cell gaming, you know, that's where you want to be particularly in the beer category. When you're standing on premise ordering a beer, you want to be either on the bottle in their, on their cell phone or someplace in their world, and, um, or on the tube if you can afford it. But you don't have to do that now. So if you're uh, in the TV industry, you want to uh, complain to uh, the people about Patrick Meyer, who was instrumental in moving those dollars away. Is that what you're saying, Patrick? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Bring it on, right? It's one of the biggest issues right now. Yeah. When, you, when you talk to CMOs, one of the top five questions I get are, what's going on with other peer companies? How are they coming at new technology? In other words, which ones do you bet on? Retail technology, Wi-Fi, cell phone, gaming. There's, it's almost daunting. But you gotta, you got to put a stake in the ground and uh, be working against where the consumer's going. Yeah, and you know, hats off to Foster's, uh, as it mentions in this uh, article, that Foster's will tweak uh, their effort if they find the web ads are not uh, effective, as opposed to going back to TV, according to uh, Gary Cottrell, Foster's brand director. So uh, hats off to them for being committed to that effort. Uh, So many times today we see uh, some sampling or some experimenting, especially with new media, and uh, to have a company like that committed to making sure that they uh, give it an opportunity to work, I think, says a lot for the the people at at Foster's. Can we expect to see more uh, major live uh, event-type programming? Well, we're going to have to save that, Ray, aren't we? Oh, go ahead and finish it. What's going on? Well, I was going to ask about live event-type programming in the future or if there are opportunities still available today. And I guess, you know, who who better to ask than Patrick? That would be a good thing to do, and we'll keep Patrick here. We appreciate uh, Patrick dropping in today, a regular on the advertising show, The Marketing Insider, and uh, CEO of Now, Inc. And uh, we'll be back with more of Patrick here in just a moment. Uh, The advertising show powered by a really cool vehicle out of Houston. It's uh, Shipple.com. S-C-H-I-P-U-L dot com. Ed and his team do a great job with a product called Tendency that they also developed. It's a cool and killer web marketing tool, so check it out. Shipple.com. Back in just a minute with more with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth on The Advertising Show. Make informed decisions about your company's advertising strategy. This is The Advertising Show. Than dirt. 
back for another segment with Patrick Meyer, along with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth on the Advertising Show. Patrick, a marketing innovator and thought leader working behind the scenes for chief marketing officers and CEOs, all in senior marketers across uh, the globe. Uh, also the founder and CEO of Now, Inc. Check it out. It's, uh, the website is nowinc.net. And, of course, if you listen to the advertising show, you hear Patrick as a regular feature here each and every week. Welcome back to the show, Patrick. Uh, thank you very much, boys. Yeah, uh, boys. Boy, it's not often we get called that, huh, Ray? No, no. <laughs> hey, uh, Patrick, you know, before the uh, the break there, we were talking about uh, trying to tee up uh, live entertainment or li- major live event type programming. But before we uh, talk about that, which is kind of related to that, I guess, uh, uh, technology certainly catapulted uh, this year's uh, World Cup to a whole new level. And, uh, of course, uh, I think anywhere you went, or on the planet for that matter, you were getting uh, some kind of feed from uh, cell phone, VOD broadcast, Wi-Fi on the laptop. I mean, it was all all, all around. So uh, did you feel the impact of uh, technology on uh, the World Cup event when you were over there, or would you have to have been away from the event to uh, really feel that? I, I think technology was one of three factors that made this World Cup so successful in the U.S. and worldwide. I think the first one was technology enabled more people to see it. For example, in Europe, on cell phones, there was new technology that you could watch the World Cup games on your cell phone. In the U.S., there was so many, the penetration of flat screen TVs and the HI definition was so broad between on-premise and homes and offices, you know, and then technology enabling you to, to go back and see clips or see it on a sling box on your computer. So... That made it so much better. The second thing that made it so much better, at least in the U.S., was that you had um, kind of a faces of color um, country where more and more Hispanic and Asian you know, are celebrating World Cup because they're a more important part of our culture. So the whole country started to take off as a result of that. And then third, kind of a little secret weapon, millennials, you know, now at age 27 down to 12, you know, they grew up on soccer, they grew up on technology, and they loved the World Cup. So that's one of the reasons I think it was just a great World Cup. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I'm wondering, do you, do you think that most of the uh, major live event type programming are, are pretty much covered nowadays, or are we going to see uh, a growth in that particular area? I know NASCAR is really uh, caught on fire lately, but yet uh, I'm wondering, I'm wondering, were we all, always covering uh, live events anyway? Well, you know, I, I think it goes back to what, what I call same old, same old. You know, if you're doing events, if you're doing football games, NASCAR races, you know, this, the concerts, the same old way, well, then you're going to get nothing out of it, and the CMO is going to be down on you on your ROI. But if you come at it in a whole different way, and you know I'm always talking about the marketing revolution, if you take event marketing and you turn it into experiential marketing, and you combine it with other progressive forums, so let's say we're doing, we're doing some, let's say we're doing tailgating the Giants, right? Well, just doing that event isn't going to get you there. But if you're announcing it via uh, text messages that are going out to everybody in the area, you're linking it with radio, you've got remote broadcasts that are going on there, you've got all kinds of things happening in the stadium where people can you know, vote for who's going to be um, scoring on the next touchdown or trivia. Now all of a sudden it's getting bigger. You create it into a whole New York area phenomena with a pre, post, and during uh, activity, now you get your ROI. And then if you can link it back to package purchase through your trade customers, bingo, there's your marketing effort. So you've got to come at it a whole different way because it just can't be event marketing. 
So how do you do you, do you find that uh, most of the participants involved in event marketing are, are wising up to that, or do you still see a bit of the uh, old guard and the traditional way of viewing uh, involvement of, of, of the uh, event marketing? I, I think it. I think it's split. You've got progressive marketers that are there. They're just driving at it aggressively. Then you've got kind of the sleepier marketers who are B level who are just fighting and kicking, and then you've got their agencies. You know, you've got Madison Avenue and the big media buying agencies and uh, that are just doing it the same way. And also the leagues and the governing bodies are doing it the same way. So, you've, you've got to, you know, this is interesting you say that, too. I think of the uh, symphonies that used to be a lot more prosperous, uh, and uh, it seems like the old guard is, is there, and they have not really done anything to change the uh, traditional marketing. As a result, they're declining dramatically and dropping off all over the the country. They they need something like what you're talking about, Patrick, to really kind of juice up what uh, what they don't have right now. So the consumer's looking for experiential. Like, talk to me, involve me, let me experience it, let me do it when I want it, my own way. Yeah. If you're doing it, a symphony the same old way, yeah. and you're not letting me have that, sorry, I'm going to go elsewhere. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, too many other options nowadays, right? Yeah, and it's not like they're not interested in the uh, the yeah, content. The it's really more the bad, delivery. Exactly, no. Yes, yeah, so the delivery mechanism. Right. You know, you mentioned CMOs uh, last uh, like comment with regard to uh, event marketing. What, touch on uh, a few of the bigger challenges facing the CMO today, other than just simply keeping their job for more than 23 months, I guess, which is the current figure. <laughs> That's yeah, the, the longest one. Figure. Although, you know, I was thinking about that recently. You know, there are times when the CMO is leaving on their own, for a better opportunity if they're good. There are others that are getting bullet in the uh, temple and others just being put out you know, another part of the organization for a while. But I, I think what it comes down to is you know, they are totally accountable for ROI. Are they driving sales, volume, and profit? And everybody's, wa- you know, they, everybody's watching them and every, all the programs. So that's the first thing. Um, so a good CMO is immediately making sure that defined objectives and also metrics along the way combined with progressive thinking. I think the other other reason that so many CMOs are having a tough time is that uh, they've got to be up to speed, and their organization has to be up to speed on where are things going. So, you know, it's new technologies, it's new communication approaches. Patrick, go ahead and take us into this next break. You're on the advertising show with uh, Brett Forsyth and Ray Schilling, and this is Patrick Meyer, and we'll be back with you shortly. Simplifying the complex world of advertising. To reach Ray and Brad with your questions, log on to theadvertisingshow.com. This is The Advertising Show. You worked too hard, you ate too much, the cheesecake made you greedy. Let your aching head and stomach hear this message from Old Speedy. Alka-Seltzer, blop, blop, fizz, fizz. No need for that. We'll cure your uh, stomach disorders here on The Advertising Show. Ray Shellen's Brad Forsyth and Patrick Meyer out of New York, our special guest uh, this weekend. Uh, we've got uh, David Lubars, Chief Creative Officer of BBDO North America, joining us next week. Patrick, welcome back to the Advertising Show. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen. Yeah, and you know, I know we had to cut you off short. Uh, and, and to add to uh, your comment about uh, CMOs today and the challenges they face, I want to hear a continuation to, to wrap that up. But I want to throw something else in there. Don't you find, Patrick, that uh, most of the CMOs that do have a bit of tenure usually have the ear of the CEO, and so many times they're isolated and then they don't really, uh, uh, the CEO, for whatever reason, just uh, doesn't uh, connect with the CMO, and as a result, sometimes they're the fall guy. Oh, you hit the nail on the head. If, if you've got a CEO and a board that believe in marketing, you know, culturally and right up to the CEO, then you're in great, great shape. 
if it turns out you've got to constantly explain why to do marketing to, let's say, an engineer or a finance guy who's CEO and just doesn't get it, let's give it that. So if you're a CMO and you don't have the uh, uh, and the door for the CEO is not a jar, you may want to get keep your resume handy, huh, Patrick? Well, yeah. Or there is one thing that you can do, and this is true of all marketers. You know, you need to make sure that you use insights and also films of consumers and immersing your management. In other words, get them out of the tower and let them feel what's going on with the consumer because that's the tiebreaker. If they get what's going on with the consumer and where things are going, you're okay. You know, if they stay isolated, you'll always be explaining. You know, uh, shifting gears for a moment, I know you were at uh, this year's Cannes Festival, and out of uh, respect to that, both Ray and I are wearing our Speedos today. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I understand that uh, you conducted informal uh, interviews with some of the key players and luminaries in and out of the ad, ad and advertising and marketing industries throughout the festival. What were some of the, uh, the findings that you were able to discover during your interviews? Well, this just totally fascinated me. You know, that way back when I was at the Coca-Cola company, I used to produce like 20 commercials a year and work with all the eight agencies. And so I've been on the other side of, of cans when we've been winning awards. I was never there. I was always too busy driving the business, right? But I was always aware of it. And then the agencies would go off and you'd always be intrigued and back would come an award. So I had a client that had us there working on a project and we were taking a look at what was going on and assessing you know, the, what I call the good, the bad, and the ugly. And here's, here's what just blew my mind. You know, the, the, the good was all about the young people, and I say young meaning just progressive people, the young progressive agencies, the, the new media agencies, the, the, the shops that are on the other side of the world far away from Madison Avenue. So the, the new guard that's coming up, that's the good. There's some amazing stuff going on. The bad, well, what kind of blew my mind was that here is this big advertising industry, particularly the, the mega agencies and the, the old guard, that are totally in denial about advertising and where it's going. In other words, the Titanic is sinking right now, and they're rearranging the deck chairs. And you know, there's a top guy at uh, Ad Age, and we all know him, I won't mention his name, but you know, we interviewed him, and he said, the biggest issue here at Cannes is that the entire industry is in denial. Now, <laughs> That was the bad. The ugly was watching the parties. You would think that with all the money and all the creativity in the agencies, that there would be incredible parties at Cannes. <laughs> well, they were the most boring parties. It's just a bunch of people all partying and just going from one location to another each night. There was no creativity. And you know, I, I said to my business partner, Robin, I said, just take the young guard, give them a fraction of the money spent here. And they could throw a party that the world would want to be at. Yeah. <laughs> so, so for the uh, the agencies located outside of the U.S., they were there were more uh, young blood there, more progressive, uh, forward-thinking people. Yeah, but it, it's true also that you know the, the European and also the U.S. agencies. There's some really progressive agencies and people that were there, and not they don't even look like it, an agency in many cases. It's just a handful of people, or it's a new media firm that's doing stuff. You know with you know, on cell phones and other places. So there's amazing stuff that's there. But a lot of times it was dwarfed by just the same old, same old big advertising ideas that were sitting on network TV. A little bit less than a minute here. Yeah, uh, less than a minute. uh, Real quickly, describe the agency of the future. Madison Avenue uh, certainly uh, obsolete and quickly becoming obsolete. How do you see the agency of the future? Not everybody's going to like this, but I was with um, 
senior marketers recently, and we were talking about where they're going, and that we, what they concluded that first you have to ban the term agency because agencies, as we know them from 10, 20 years ago, are obsolete. They need to evolve in what that is. What they want is give me a SWAT team of smart people to come in and help bring ideas that will drive my business. The agencies have those people. They just got to pull them out of the silos and put them into a five or ten person team and come in and help address those those issues. Patrick, it is a, a bit of pleasure here to have you back on the advertising show, and of course, it's a regular uh, feature here as well. Great time. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it, guys. It's great. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. Uh, these are the three largest selling soft drinks. Now, let's have a look and see what makes them so popular. Now, as you can see, this one is a cola. It looks like a cola. Well, that was way it back when, when uh, like brand advertising for beverages was a little bit easier than it is today, huh? Hmm. There's just a few more out there as well. Advertising show, Ray Shillings, Brad Forsyth, and uh, thanks again to Patrick Meyer. What a, what a guy to step up to the plate and uh, carry us here for this week as we as we um, had hoped to have uh, Pat Fallon on, but due to scheduling, we had uh, no available availability for Pat. So, Patrick, uh, you're a good guy. Thanks a lot. Go to uh, Zanga. That's with an X, by the way. Zanga's X-A-N-G-A dot com uh, uh, slash Patrick Meyer, and that is his blog, okay? And uh, now Inc.net is the, is the website. And, of course, you'll continue to hear Patrick here on the advertising show as well. Yeah. Every week we've got uh, Jeffrey Gittimer coming up here in just a few moments away. Turning a no into yes is what he's real good at, so that's uh, something to look forward to. What do you have there? Well, you know, uh, we're both big fans of, uh, of the rabbit the Volkswagen Rabbit, and as part of its uh, Rabbit is Back campaign for Volkswagen, Crispin Porter Bogusky, I thought this was very interesting, said that they arranged for three Playboy bunnies on the magazine's September front cover to appear in reverse angle on the back cover, uh, support uh, sporting the rab- uh, Rabbit icon. So in other words, what you have is you look at the back of the Playboy, That's everything's great. in reverse, as if you know, you're looking through a, a backside of the front cover, mm-hmm. and the Playboy bunnies are all turned around, so you're seeing their backside. And what's interesting uh, is that one of the models has the red VW uh, Rabbit icon, which has been used in Gorilla Outdoor postings in the campaign as a parent tattoo, on her lower back, you know, so I guess all, yeah, it's an interesting idea, and Playboy logo, of course, is also involved with the uh, with the uh, design, because that's part of the idea of looking at the backside and the whole thing, and uh, I think it's, and and this is very interesting, the Volkswagen Rabbit dot is it's back and so it ties in with uh, with the uh, campaign. It's a great idea. Go figure, they did another great campaign. Wow. Yeah, Crispin, yeah. Crispin Porter is a great agency. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Uh, Home Depot, I go I go and spend lots of time, lots of money in Home Depot and Lowe's mm-hmm. for that matter. It doesn't matter. I don't see how other stores like Ace stay in business, actually. But, um, but Home Depot is now taking an opportunity to do, uh, uh, basically, they're selling streaming video advertising to their online vendors. Hmm. Uh, the, the vendors pay Home Depot and similar retailers for such prime promotional space. Uh, you know, uh, by large display showcasing new products from the manufacturers like uh, Kohler and Moen and Maytag and such. And now the Atlanta Home Improvement Retailer is trying to 
uh, replicate that in-store experience selling streaming video advertising on the website uh, to the manufacturers as well, which really is not a bad idea. Yeah, uh, Vendors can definitely do much more online uh, than with their in-store displays, how true that is. And... Uh, Let's see. Vendors can also communicate their stores, uh, stories of innovation and new product selections via video. So either way, whether they're doing it in-store or online, uh, they've got something good going there at Home Depot. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't always know the answers. Uh, or that's Lowe's knows. They don't know either, okay? <laughs> yeah. So they sometimes know the wrong answers, uh, as was evidenced by something that we picked up this past weekend at Lowe's. But that'll be uh, for another time. Quick Takes on Sales and Customer Relations with Jeffrey Gittimer, nationally syndicated columnist in the network of city business journals and other great publications worldwide. If you're offended by common sense commentary, don't you dare listen. Now, here's Jeffrey. One of the things that will challenge you about your personal motivation, about your personal inspiration, is the little thing called rejection. Now, rejection doesn't come all the time in an absolute form. Sometimes it comes in just little ways where someone won't appoint you or someone won't give you the next meeting that you need. It's all about your persistence at doing it. You can never take the first rejection as an absolute or you will never achieve its sales in a way that you're dreaming about. And it's going to take all the energy out of you. It's going to drain your feeling, drain your soul if you take the first no. You have to be able to get past that in order to either get better or get out of the slump or achieve the goal. I referred to it early on in my writings as being able to, the the most sales are made after the seventh no. Well, it's not exactly no, it's more not yet. And you have to be able to be persistent enough in order to be able to hang in there enough in order to be able to achieve what it is that you're working for. Personal motivation, personal inspiration comes from being able to accept the rejection part of this process and turning the no into not yet and eventually turning it into a yes. Quick takes on sales and customer relations from The Advertising Show, the only radio show in America featuring Jeffrey Gittimer as a regular weekly guest. To learn more about his books, tapes, CDs, and speaking engagements, log on to Gittimer.com, G-I-T-O-M-E-R.com. And tune in next week when we'll hear Jeffrey say, This is Jeffrey Gittimer reminding you that if no one responds to your ad, it may be because your ad sucks. So I guess what we learned from Patrick Meyer today is he is indeed a party animal and there were no good parties at Cannes, right? <laughs> That's right. true. Okay. And he's pissed. Yeah. Uh, David Lubars is our guest uh, next uh, weekend, uh, Chief Creative Officer, BBDO. Not the world, B- only North America. Okay. So That's pretty good. Uh, speaking of North and South America, Brad, did you know it snowed this past week in Johannesburg? It's apparently never snowed there before. It hasn't snowed in Johannesburg in uh, South Africa. Huh? South Africa. Yeah, we forget while all of the folks up north are, are sweating like crazy. Crazy winter things are going there. on the south yeah. of the equator. Yeah. <laughs> man, oh, man, they're having a That's bad weird. winter there. Well, well, I had pictures you know. this past week on CNN. It was kind of interesting. So Global warming. Uh, that, too. That too. Yeah. It's probably something like that. You know, uh, did, would, would you know uh, Darren Kagan, if I were to mention her, the CNN anchor? You see her from time to time. Uh, Darren Kagan, black no. hair. Mm-mm. No. I was trying to think of her uh, several weeks ago when I was mentioning how she was dating Rush Limbaugh. It was uh, they sense oh, have not was. been dating in a while. But she's, you know, 
decent looking. I think uh, Rush got the better deal of that, but they're not dating right now. But what's interesting is she's leaving after 12 years to launch uh, a website, uh, according to CNN. And, uh, you know, she's going to she's going to do DarrenKagan.com and she's going to do it as more of a. Uh, a feel good, a feel good, and you know, just talk about good things and so forth. It's kind of a strange uh, career move for her from going from CNN to a to a website, a blog, I suppose. It would be weirder if she went to the Weather Channel, okay? <laughs> or didn't quit dating Rush? Yeah, did exactly. Well, that's <laughs> weird in itself. Yeah. Okay. No, that's it. Mr. Viagra. No, he's well. Maybe that's why he needed it. Um, <laughs> the advertising show being brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. You can visit them on online at adage.com. The advertising show is a big Radio Midgets production.